Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the Director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jason. So we know the show is called Ask the CIO. You are not a CIO, and that is perfectly okay. I like to tell people this is a, a more of a technology show, and we're going to have a great conversation about, among other things, identity and access management, a topic that it really has has gotten, uh, I'll say, uh, hot again over the last you know year and a half or two years, especially as you talk about identity vetting and how to ensure authentication and authorization and all those pieces and parts. So we're gonna get to all of that today. But let me just take a half a step back. DMDC, we know the letters, but we don't necessarily always know what you guys do. So I'm gonna just give you the 30 seconds or so to, to tell us a little bit about DMDC so people understand what you are all about. Let me tell you, the Defense Manpower Data Center has been around now for 46 years and uh, it's continued to to provide support for the, uh, really it's built off of uh, identity, right? The, the identity pieces that we have in the Department of Defense is really the core mission, supporting a wide, wide customer base for services across uh, our spectrum. The Defense Manpower Data Center is not a data center. It's all about the data. We really have uh, a lot of services and programs in the HR IT portfolio. And uh, just to, to clarify a little bit, I do have another hat that is, the, I operate as the uh, CIO for the for the uh, Defense Human Resource Activity, which is a field activity for the, under the PNR. So we, we have that and we have cybersecurity responsibilities and chief data officer responsibilities. So I've got a, quite a few hats here that I wear. My organization, broadly speaking, operates across the PNR enterprise and across supporting uh, chief data officer for the Department of Defense and with uh, our CIO for DOD very closely on a lot of initiatives. So very much familiar with all the topics that we might want to cover. Well, I didn't realize you were a CIO when I looked it up and, and, and reached out. I did not have that pop up. So I'm, I'm even more excited now to talk to you that, that you're both a CIO and the head of DMDC. As I mentioned, we're going to talk a lot about identity and access management, ICAM. So let's start there. Uh, DMDC, as you said, it's all about data. It's all about identity. It's it's really really pushing forward. Let's talk about the ICAM strategy that DoD released in March. You guys play a big role in that. And uh, what what is DMDC's current approach to ICAM identity and access management? The DoD CIO did lead an effort, but DMDC was a huge contributor to the data strategy and driving out a lot of the key objectives. My organization is the secretariat for the identity protection, management protection working group that operates across the department and drives out requirements, kind of like the JROC requirement for ICAM. So it's a pretty big deal. The strategy that was uh, put out was a, a piece of work that had taken quite, quite a bit of time to get launched, but under, under very strong leadership under the, the current CIO and now the, the new principal deputy, we have uh, a strategy that is going to start bringing core capabilities online based on real plans, right, that are interdependent. What we have created aligned to that strategy uh, with the department's uh, direction, you know, the CIO's direction, is a joint program integration office. And the Defense Manpower Data Center is a contributor to that 
Joint Program Office. It is currently chaired by, by the Defense Information Security Agency, which we partner with very heavily on a lot of core ICAM capabilities, and is also uh, has a contrib contribution from the National Security Agency, which owns the PKI piece. And so it's a very, very robust uh, set of activities across some major uh, organizations that are driving out the key pieces. The Defense Manpower Data Center's role in in the ICAM strategy is really is around continuing our mission of getting the right people, the right information at the right time. And as we dialogue through today, I, I'd like to kind of reemphasize that point several times. DMDC supports the identity piece of ICAM. Uh, we, we have the identity management systems and all of the person data repositories and you know people have heard of the defense uh, enrollment and eligibility reporting system that DEERS that we support and that drives a lot of the decisions that are made with the ICAM framework and we also have the um, a lot of the credential program so as you look across you know, we, we manage issuing issuance of credentials through uh, the real-time automated uh, systems you know the rapid systems that we have worldwide that issue credentials and manage access to to being able to get CAT cards are the, the DOD's version of the PIV so we've supported a broad spectrum. We're going to be driving standards. We're going to be uh, building syntax and ontologies. We're supporting the development of the authorization and, and access decisions for getting to the cloud. So standardizing that across the DOD so it's not a whole bunch of county options and it's a strong authentication processes that are built and the identity management suites that are going to be available. One other key component I just mentioned, and, and there's probably several in the strategy, but one that's really important to the department and that is building access controls, really kind of driven off of our financial audit findings. But the ideal is to build access controls that will be applicable to the enterprise and not just uh, for financial systems. So we have quite a bit of work already identified ahead of us to continue to modernize. Uh, and the strategy is, is absolutely a great first step to getting us there. You mentioned a couple of the big programs, DEERS and RAPIDS, and I'm sure we'll probably hit upon some of those things in a little bit. One of the things about the strategy I'd like to maybe talk through a little bit about is DOD has been seen as ahead of most other agencies when it comes to identity and access management. So are you taking existing standards and updating them? Or are there new standards that have needed to be applied because of emergence of technology, like you mentioned cloud, uh, and then you mentioned the financial audit findings as well. Walk me through kind of, you're not starting obviously at zero, but nobody's ever at 100 either. Yeah, um, Jason, thanks for that, because it really kind of brings us back to, you know, when HSPD-12 was just kind of coming out, right? And and the DOD really stepped up to the plate. And this is, of course, before my time at, uh, at, at even DOD, but uh, the ideals there were to bring together true capabilities that were that were driven off of, and I would say from an authentication standpoint, access control lists, right? And so we've gotten that implemented. And, and then I would say the department has continued to modernize on that framework and, and move forward, but time has passed by. Other federal agencies, other mission partners have achieved other capabilities and, and industry has created some opportunities that open the door to move towards the what I would say is the, the newer model, a dynamic model of ICAM management, which will really be based on real-time data management and real-time access 
for those authorization decisions to be truly based on you know, a risk profile that is continuously authenticating individuals into, uh, you know, as, as on a real-time basis. Where we're headed with, with a lot of that is, you know, modernizing infrastructure, modernizing the platforms, and moving our services more to a microservice-type model, which will give us the ability to maximize those priorities that are those services that, that are the most meaningful. We are driving out things like improved interoperability across the mission partner space with something called the mission partner registry, which will allow us to share and uh, accept credentials from other key mission areas across federal and beyond federal government partnerships, allies, uh, and other and other important uh, mission partners. And we also are, are building something that's called the backend attribute exchange that will support a lot of the interoperability components. So we're kind of in a lot of ways, the backend operation, not the front end operation for your ICAM model. But as we modernize, we really want to leverage existing services that industry and others have that we can promote as a department standard. I think I missed a point, a key point of your question. I want to go back. So really building off of and supporting the NIST and the OMB directives that are coming out in ICANN, we're, we're not trying to create brand new standards. We're trying to build off and we've implemented, you know, the PIVOTH as part of the, the next generation. So we're modeling ourselves down the, the avenues that we need to go to support uh, OMB directives and NIST publications and to continue to build on those frameworks that are, that are absolutely the standards across federal government. And I would only expect that. I know DOD has been a huge partner of NIST, of GSA, and then OMB, as you guys have put together this ICAM strategy and ICAM framework. So uh, I was not trying to insinuate you guys were going off on, on, on your own uh, path or anything. I realized that. It's interesting to I want to go back to uh, one piece of this, which is, uh, and you bring up my favorite topic, HSPD-12, as someone who's been covering this for, for uh, 15 plus years now. It always amazes me how things kind of come back around. So when you talk about a more dynamic ICAM management using real-time data to ensure, you know, does Mike Sorrento have access to this data today, but he may not have access tomorrow. That's what we're talking about here is, is that real-time, you know, idea of, of what can, what systems, what data, what, what applications Mike can access right now, but, but in an hour from now it may change. And that, that's, that's exactly right because the, the, and it really gets back to the, the key data elements, right? The, the attributes that are driving those decisions. If Mike Sorrento or you know, Jason Miller has access to a financial system and can approve a contract or, or a, you know, an award or to some degree uh, the, the funds for that, but that tomorrow he's moved into another job, the job doesn't allow that, that access needs to change. And so you can do that at the system level, but at the, at the roles and responsibilities that we grant across many systems, it's not just one necessarily one system that'll, that controls all the features and the permissions. So we've got to become much more uh, roles-based driven and using these, these tools so that when features about individuals change, it allows us to make the right 
permissions decisions across the board. Revocation of, of credentials, revocation of those permissions or changes in them is a key driver in the efforts that uh, are being on, are currently underway with with um, solutions that are supporting the financial audit. And we expect these things to, to occur, broadly speaking, across the entire department as we stand up the initial capabilities and, and deploy them. All right, a lot there to dig out of. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Defense Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Ford Rock on Federal News Network. This week on Federal Insights, sponsored by NEC Corporation, hear John Beeler, the Director of Science and Technology at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, talking about digital transformation. The goal of this is to let folks that are interested in working with the government know what we're concerned with and know what we're thinking about and know what we think is interesting so that folks can either engage with us or inform some of their own internal investments, right? To hear the entire interview, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search NEC. I'm Dr. Michael Knorr with your health tip of the day from the African American Wellness Project. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer for men, but African American men are more at risk. That's primarily because it's often diagnosed when it's more advanced. The good news is that diagnosed early, most prostate cancer can be treated effectively. If you're a man over 50 or have a family history of prostate cancer, talk to your doctor today about a test. For more information, visit aawellnessproject.org. Dan owed an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS. I got behind in my taxes. It's a horrible feeling. He was in denial. And when I got those letters from the IRS, he wanted to act like they didn't exist. Finally, Dan turned to Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved $1 billion for their clients. Optima got me a settlement with the IRS. These people are really people-friendly. It was every bit of a new lease on life for me. The fast action and the great results made Dan's head spin. I felt like I was in a dream, but it's real, and I have paperwork to prove it. They got the job done, and life is good. For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. If you're worried about what's going to happen with the IRS, stop worrying. Make the call now. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. tax relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Before I was adopted, I felt like, felt like my life was already over. My biggest fear was that I would age out and not know how to be sufficient on my own. At a certain age, like, they don't want you, you're troubled and stuff. The clock is ticking for the more than 125,000 kids waiting to be adopted from foster care. Help the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption prevent them from aging out without a permanent family. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. This is Scott Massioni. Follow me for the latest news critical to the defense community on Twitter at SMassioniWFED. S-M-A-U-C-I-O-N-E-W-F-E-D. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. Mike, before break, we're talking a lot about the strategy for identity access management, ICAM. Talked about some of the roles and that you guys are picking up and, and moving forward on. One of the things that that brings that comes to mind is the role you play in terms of the watching the evolution of ICAM, and, and you went through it fairly well that today's ICAM is much different than yesterday's ICAM, which is way different than back in the HSPD 12 days of 2004, 2005. 
I want to look a little bit forward as well, because I know DMDC released an RFI for remote proofing capabilities a couple years ago. Where are we with that effort and where are you heading with whether that or ICAM more generally? So maybe start with that, that RFI. So remote proofing really is the focus area, but it really getting after a, a blended effect of not only the, the ability to remote proof individuals who we don't have a dynamic way of, of managing real-time data that will allow us to, to have that constant uh, strong identity viewpoint, but also the, the multi-factor authentication. So there's kind of a two-pronged approach is, is one is we want to improve on the ability to manage credentials that are issued for remote access. And generally that population, you know, it's not our known population within the DOD, right? We've got about 8 million people that we, we have their identity. So those are military, civilian employees, and contractors that we're constantly having updated management around strong identity management pieces. But where we have a larger population at this point, like 20 million veterans and independents and other affiliated individuals coming in outside the DOD network through our DS logon, that's where the ability to give them the credential but then continue to maintain that credential becomes important where we now allow the remote proofing piece and that we're continuing to build on that. Where we're moving to is stronger model of of that authentication where uh, as opposed to just like challenge questions, we're sort of in this continuous, continual assessment using multiple data sources that are publicly available or in some cases you, you pay for them to be able to assure the identity of individuals coming in improving the security and increasing, again, the multi-factor authentication. In this case, a two-factor authentication approach that is currently uh, in play now with DS Login, which is really a great improvement over the previous single authentication factor. And then the ability to maintain that credential through a constant or continuous uh, evaluation-like process. And so we're, we're strengthening that. It's, gonna, it's going to, over the next couple of years, we're going to continue to work those algorithms. And then the further piece of this, which I think is, is extremely vital, as we all know, that identity theft is such a, an incredibly increasing threat to the world, right? And, and there's just such increased and ongoing threats we're building identity threat features and the identity threat program around a lot of these these capabilities, core capabilities like remote proofing and the and the and the access to our systems from external sources, so that we can support you know in, in one case support prevention. Obviously, that's the goal is to prevent identity theft. But where there are very very um, sophisticated techniques out there, we want to be able to support any forensics and any law enforcement pieces associated with it. So we've got quite a bit of, of uh, ideas and, and um, capabilities in the queue that will be coming online, uh, some of which are already implemented and many more that are going to just continue to strengthen our ability to ensure we have the right people getting access to the right information at the right time. Without a doubt, that is what this is all about, ensuring that, that secure data, secure information sharing. Can you go back uh, again? I just want to check back to that 2018 RFI. I know it's been a couple of years. Did you guys make any kind of award? Did that ever come to an acquisition strategy? We had an initial capability come online through uh, an existing source that we had. So the, the, the RFI was used to build out a better requirement set, but we absolutely did uh, move forward with remote proofing 
even without having a broader industry input into that. So we wanted to implement something. We did that immediately. We've continued down that path for some time. We've recently awarded a, a contract to continue to mature those capabilities. We think that there'll also there'll be more opportunity in this space as we learn more about what industry capabilities are out there. I think we probably would be interested in even putting another RFI out to say what else is coming online because the dynamics in this space continue to mature almost at warp speed. So we, we think we're in good shape for the, the next year, but we are still looking for even better and better ideas from the technology standpoint, from the capabilities for the identity as a service. So we've got a few pilots in the hopper as well that are going to support this. We're working towards a digital ID for our USID customers so that we can provide that credential on on a mobile platform. And, and those are related because we want to have a continuous identity as a service connected to those pieces so we can continue to extend our the benefit platforms to our customers who who are frankly demanding in, in a way, but you know, it's the kind of things that you, that you and I are all familiar with. You can pull out your iPhone or your or your Android and you can Google Pay or Apple Pay, you can show your credentials and you can get service. So we we need to be that agile in the Department of Defense, but with strong authentication modes and strong ability to continue to um, proof people for their identity as a service. All right, Mike, I will tell you now, I'm just going to fair warning, now your phone, your email will be off the hook as, as industries now has heard, you may be looking for a new RFI and, and looking to extend what you guys are doing. So my apologies <laughs> for that right now. We'll get to that later as well, maybe how industry can, can continue to help you. You talked about identity as a service. You talked about the data piece. You talked about the ongoing need to, to look at data and, and find data. All this plays into this idea of cloud computing and we can't have a conversation with when we talk about ICAM and, and with CIOs without cloud coming up. Where does cloud play for DMDC and, and how does it kind of, how do you find that right balance between on-premise networks and, and obviously cloud networks? We're right in that space right now. And number one is we're following the DOD's cloud strategy. We're, we're, we've implemented and produced in my other hat as CIO with, with uh, DHRA and the HRIT portfolio, we've produced a cloud strategy that is in line with the DOD's cloud strategy. So obviously Cloud smart, right? We need to be cloud smart. Not every capability we have will align perfectly to some cloud uh, service that's out there and there'll be a strong business case to use it. But we're laser focused on where there are opportunities. Our, our number one priority is to, to leverage software as a service. If there is a capability out there that we can buy to extend our services out further, that's where we're headed. And, and we're doing that uh, today in some of our uh, key capabilities. One is in our civilian portfolio. We're leveraging the, uh, the Oracle HCM cloud platform to build out the next version of technology there. We're looking at the defense travel system, which we also operate. It's a people system, right? It helps people get to places. And we're looking at commercial sources. The SAP Concur platform is currently a prototype that we've leveraged through an OTA, and it's delivering. So we're looking uh, at number one there, but then, you know, platform cloud, you know, we, we've got a, the second priority is that where we can't get to SaaS, let's look at platforms and we're leveraging AWS and, and other 
uh, key platform areas. And then lastly, you know, the, the infrastructure as a service, we've got an investment to close our data centers, essentially where we can move things to platform or software and to, to get them over to an infrastructure so we can close some legacy data centers. I still think that we're gonna have some balance of on-prem where unique requirements within the department are needed. But again, the strategy is cloud smart and, and not to just run to the cloud and, and get there and perhaps not have a strong a linkage to our mission space that we would want to have. So we're, we're doing it um, quickly, but cautiously. It's interesting that you talk about the balance because I hear that often from CIOs who say, you know, we're, we're always going to have some footprint on premise. We're always going to have some, some footprint in the cloud. And, and the goal is how to make that all come together and work well. So two questions I would have is one is, is your cloud strategy, is that a public document? Is that something people could find online? And then two, if not, is there something more you could give us in terms of, are you guys doing application rationalization? Is there DevSecOps models? I know I'm just throwing a bunch of buzzwords at you here, but I think that yeah. all plays into your ability to say what's going to go to the cloud and what's going to stay on-prem. Check yes to all the above. You know, we Part of my responsibilities are broader than just technical on the CIO, you know, defense manpower data center programs, but is also portfolio manager linked into the defense business council through my chain of command. So we support efforts on the HRIT portfolio as a core, you know, defense business system program area, right, in terms of the, the, the business space. We're driving rationalization. So I'll start with the rationalization. We're, we're driving that first and we're getting after, you know, the fact that there are so many microsystems out there performing functions that we could collapse with a good technology roadmap. So part of the dovetailing of those discussions are where there are services out there, where there are cloud capabilities that we can leverage platforms particularly. And, you know, there's a, there's a bit of, I think, challenge in getting to software as a service capabilities that can address broadly speaking. We find ourselves find ourselves doing a lot of integration work there anyway. So that's where the hybrid model comes in. One example is the, the Oracle HCM as we build out the current civilian personnel processes there we're having to build infrastructure in the cloud. So the Oracle cloud infrastructure is supporting us. The good news there is it'll all be one data center at some point when on Oracle's roadmap. So we're teaming with industry to drive. Uh, we've supported the provisional authorizations and now the, the, the ATOs associated with those environments. So we're actually leading a lot in, in this space so that we can have a model uh, similar to, you know, platform one, not saying that we're the Air Force, but that's a, a history that I lived in the past to get after the ability to stand up infrastructure, platforms, and services all in an interoperable cloud mesh, if you will. And that's really where I think we're going to get the best value is when our business people, our business analysts are able to use common tools across and be able to share uh, data within an interoperable environment and be able to build tools that build their mission space out to become uh, really what they need to be effective in their in their uh, mission and in their, in their operation. So we, we've got the framework to, to create that space. We need the partnership with the functional communities and we're getting that across all the mill depths. And, and it's a it's a journey that I think we're going to come out of this with um, a modern environment. Well, I say I think we are going to come out of this with a much more modern platforms, technology, and most importantly, more secure. 
All right, all three important things going forward, especially when it comes around the, the data and the mission critical needs. Mike, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. There is a special place in South Dakota, a place of hope, love, safety, and opportunity for Native American children. This place is St. Joseph's Indian School. Here, we preserve traditions, provide Lakota kids a safe place to learn, attend to the mind, body, heart, and spirit of every child in our care. To learn more, go to helplakotakids.org today. You know, there are a million reasons why people choose to support Shriners Hospitals for Children. It might be because Shriners Hospitals is recognized around the world as the leader in their innovative research. They're super smart. Or it could be the fact that Shriners Hospitals specializes in giving transformative care so kids can get home quicker and get back to the important stuff, being a kid. Or maybe it's the way Shriners Hospitals is helping more kids in more places through the use of telehealth technology. This gives kids around the world life-changing quality care right where they are. Like I said, there are a million reasons to support Shriners Hospitals every month. But I bet I know the best ones. Me, me, and me. There are a million reasons and I, 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 I am one of them. Thank you. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel you attract people who tend to be compulsive or abusive? Do you have money problems because of someone else's drinking? Are you afraid or embarrassed to bring your friends home? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. More than half of all adults have a family history of alcoholism. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. Mike, before break, we we're talking a lot about the cloud and the role the cloud computing plays in identity and access management and the bigger role it's playing. And one of the excitements that I hear time and again when I talk to folks from DOD or, or, or other agencies, law enforcement agencies, is how the cloud can help with identity management on the tactical edge or just at the edge. And this is huge for DOD for, for many reasons, whether it's in the continental United States where you are service members who are worried about, okay, who's getting on the base, or when it's even more critical in, in battlefield where you have to identify the person who's trying to get on a base in Iraq or Afghanistan or, or wherever. Walk me through a little bit of how you guys are thinking about cloud and tactical edge, and then where does ICAM fit in there? 
you know, it brings up a, a couple of key points from my perspective. It's an opportunity and a challenge for us, obviously leveraging uh, cloud technologies for, for core services, but getting out to the tactical edge, you know, really this is all about supporting our warfighters and supporting those who support the warfighters so they can do their mission. But ability to strong apply techniques that are improving security, that are improving access to information, are really challenged by you know, across the board worldwide bandwidth and connectivity and those are those are areas that we're always trying to improve on you know we we uh, even implement in some cases you know across the the cocoms uh, some some really powerful satellite capabilities and that still can provide some challenges but obviously being able to validate uh, individuals to get logical access and as you pointed out physical access because we We've deployed capabilities worldwide through our physical access control systems, right? And we have a solution behind that as well called the Identity Matching Engine for Security Analysis that helps identify information that we get real time, almost real time, because it's overnight from FBI and other sources, terrorist screening database, to be able to say against our known identities, is there something that we need to apprehend or hold somebody back from getting access to our base? Like, for example, there's a want or a warrant for their address. But that requires bandwidth and connectivity to keep those feeds of information going. So that's a, that's a core service. It's being deployed worldwide and obviously helps to secure our national interests around the, around the world. The, the cloud will continue to to be a solution and a challenge because protocols and being able to, to leverage across different nation states and be able to leverage uh, you know the, across the, the, the Doden and using GRSS, but still there are still agreements that, that need to be in place to be able to, to leverage all of the services that are being shored up across, you know, whether we're using VPNs or other network protocols to, to share our services worldwide. So we've got opportunities to, to make improvement, but what we really want to get is we want to get the, the warfighter that kind of, you know, basically authenticated into whatever services they need ongoing, real time, all the time. And so that's a bar that's set pretty high. But if there's any better organization to help do it, the partnership between DOD CIO, DISA, NSA, and DMDC is really what is needed to, to give our COCOMs, our joint warfighters, what they need to, to um, to, to be able to perform their duties with with limited or no risk of not having access to the right information at the right time. If we put bandwidth and connectivity aside just for half a second, which I know it's hard to do when you talk about tactical edge, do you also need light, if you will, and maybe that's not the best word, but light applications, do you need, what do you need from the application perspective? What do you need from the identity management capability that has to ride on that low bandwidth, difficult connectivity? I, I really, Jason, really like that question because it, it brings up the improvements that we're trying to put out on the identity uh, card online services. So breaking those down into more self-service and self-managed capabilities. So some of this is within DOD access, but, but a lot of it is for those who are accessing services that are that don't have a CAC card, right? And so part 
part of it is, is you know breaking them into microservices and breaking some of these transactions and capabilities into consumable bytes uh, using mobility platforms right and be able to allow individuals or their proxies in some cases get access to make uh, meaningful either updates changes or just access to information and so it's it's pretty critical and sometimes access to, to physical locations too because that's a that's a key component as we've implemented you know the new credential for the the, the CAC. So that part of the answer to this is you know we're making improvements on the on the services side of it, but we're also breaking down the back end operations to be able to more efficiently process essentially what we have is billions of transactions a year. So if you can just kind of put that in a, into context, it might not be Wall Street, but it really needs industrial power to operate like the stock market. So we have got to re-architect, and we are re-architecting into much more digestible services platform so that we can take transactions both individually or in more complex cases, be able to ma manage more difficult transactions um, more efficiently across these different microservice capabilities that we're standing up. So really, it's really driving out um, a, a modernization strategy that we can then field more efficiently on the cloud as well, as we take advantage of maybe services that we currently have built, but the cloud offers them. And then we can consume those as part of the, the platforms that we acquire so that's what we're looking at at every, at every piece of our, uh, not only infrastructure, but the services we provide externally. This tags us back, I think, to the beginning of a conversation when you mentioned microservices as well. That way, by breaking them down into these smaller, easier to, to digest, easier to use services, and then also easier to change, update, or even move, uh, if you wanted to say, okay, we're going to take that microservice and keep it localized, that is possible versus everything having to be back at a data center or at a cloud somewhere that is not as, uh, that could impact organizations, bases, mem service members on low bandwidth. Do I have that? Is that the thinking? Do I have that right? You do have that right. And I think a key, co key factor, DMDC was really established to provide access decisions to benefits. And what we have extended it to is the identity management and the ICAM capabilities. And so those things are sort of coupled together in our infrastructure. And as we have grown in requirements over time, uh, the need to, to kind of rethink that architecture, right, that we started with is what it will provide a much more agile framework for our for our customer base listening to their needs and being able to provide them with point in service right the point of service capabilities that i think we all are used to getting today with you know with our mobile devices and with our uh, you know computers at home or whether it's you know something that you're you're accessing at a at a kiosk somewhere we we've got to come up with the mechanisms to provide more options for people to get access to their their uh, things that they want access to. We're gonna about, we're about to hit another break, but it just occurred to me. I just want to hit upon it quickly. You bring up mobile devices. Does that add another level of complexity for DMGC as tablets and 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 smartphones and the like are much more part of our everyday life? And they have been for quite a while, but but even more so now today. Does that add a level of complexity for you all? 
It does in the sense of as we move forward as a department for the, you know, the bring your own device models and how we support the, uh, the DISA services. And really it comes back to the, you know, DISA is providing those access and those credentials that are sort of the, the soft credentials, like the derived credentials. And that piece of it though is fed from the, the data attribute models that DMDC supports. So as we become more intelligent around what what types of data attributes we want to leverage across the platform and what they need to look like in the syntax and the ontologies, we're going to have to be agile enough to support those changes as they occur to improve the security and the ability to ensure mobility platforms are continued to be supported in, in uh, an evolving way. Because I, I see tremendous, we all know what the data says about mobility platforms and mobility capabilities. The growth is astronomical, and I would expect the security frameworks to have to improve to catch up and maintain that warp speed, and we'll have to be at the, the absolute center of those discussions when it comes to changes at the, at the back-end operation side of it. You bring up BYOD, we could spend the whole discussion here probably talking about the challenges of uh, bringing your own device. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can finish up our conversation. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the Director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. Jason Miller's Reporter's Notebook is the insider's guide to the federal community. Subscribe at Federal News Network. Here's Kirk Everson, the principal and government intelligent automation leader at KPMG on modern government, emerging trends in intelligent automation in a time of rapid change, sponsored by KPMG. The whole idea of hyper-automation is starting to come into the vernacular of a lot of agencies. And what I mean by hyper-automation is you look at RPA as definitely a stepping stone to AI, but many of these automation platforms are starting to integrate other more advanced capabilities. Listen to the entire discussion on Federal News Network. Search KPMG. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, visit kpmg.com US federal. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, host of CyberChat. As a former federal CIO and CISO, I can tell you the threat landscape is a dynamic and evolving matter. My conversations with federal leaders from across the government focus on the latest trends and hottest cyber topics and challenges. Join me for a high-level conversation about how agencies maintain mission security. Tune in Friday mornings at 1030 on Federal News Network or subscribe on iTunes and Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Sorrento, the Director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. Mike, before break, we're talking a lot about this idea of microservices. We're talking about kind of the benefits and opportunities of, of cloud and, and the tactical edge of getting identity management services there. All of this comes back to the one thing you said at the, maybe the very beginning is the data. And we've heard this for years. It's all about the data. Walk me through a little bit about how DMDC is playing a role in ensuring that the data is standard, shareable, and of course, interoperable across many platforms and databases. Right now, there's nothing more exciting to me to talk about uh, than, than the data efforts and the establishment of the chief data officer within the Department of Defense. I can share with you that I am uh, the partner with the chief data officer at the Veterans Affairs uh, as at an initiative directed to me by the Office of Personnel and Readiness to partner to create a joint DOD VA data and analytics strategy. So there's this very large umbrella that I'm working directly with the VA uh, and because we're the people organization, we're tying together all the, 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 all the personnel and readiness equities so we can unify those environments and, and the data sharing within PNR, but also across with the VA. And obviously the, the warfighter capabilities that we're gonna be creating, broadly speaking, lots of initiatives. Uh, I've published a, an architecture guide that really has a big section on data management and data initiatives because we really need to improve our data right from the source and how we, as at the back end operation, how we manage data and be able to create real time access First of all, being able to, a lot of the data that we receive, particularly for the military personnel record, comes from the services. We have a massive amount of data going back many, many years, 55 million records, you know, record spaces that we still act, you know, actively maintain. And the idea to have that data come to DMDC in a way that we can then further synthesize it, manage it, provide it back to our customers, which we do in a extremely large volume in terms of data sharing across. What I am driving is the ability to share data more seamlessly, number one, but also, you know, a lot of this is sensitive and PII, so we've, we've got some, you know, privacy issues to deal with, but we're, we're working very hard on that. Working across the health space, working across the readiness space, education and training, and being able to drive towards common solutions, right, that the Undersecretary for Personnel and Readiness is really looking for maximizing investments, but most importantly, moving at the speed of relevance, that we need to be able to bring uh, the data mesh that we'd like to introduce as our concept, that there's different cylinders of, of excellence uh, that are happening in different mission spaces, but the power, the real power is sort of a force multiplier where you can bring those data sets together to do advanced uh, analytics and machine learning. And we're making some huge strides in our, in not only DMDC, but across the space for, particularly in the health area, right? Given the, the current pandemic situation, we're tying together the vaccine with the readiness of individuals, where they're located and how we can best maximize some of the data points for getting the best services to, to our, not only medical providers, but also the, the workforce. And really exciting project that's working towards the machine learning AI is the Joint Pathology Center basically digitizing a lot of, you know, there's about 55 million 
pathology results that have been in existence for over, you know, some go back 100 years, but have a wealth of data that will help to get proactive around the emergence of uh, different diseases and conditions so we can become much more predictive in not only uh, the care and treatment, but the preventative measures that could, could potentially become in place as early indicators. So there's a lot of exciting things that are coming from our, our data initiatives. And, and uh, you know, I could get tactical on implementing meme standards and other things, but I'm, I'm really excited that we're moving out on getting some of the analytics and, and the pieces together, but also laser focused on improving the backend operations. So our, our acquisition of data and our exposure of data becomes more of a real-time vision as opposed to any kind of flat files and other you know, antiquated processes. So we've got to do both in order to continue to be effective. Let me just tag back to one thing you said at the beginning about the joint DOD VA data analysis strategy. Is there anything more you can talk about that? The tasking from the Joint Executive Committee, which is a statutory organization that uh, is chaired by the Deputy Secretary for the VA and the uh, Undersecretary for Personnel and Readiness, basically put out there the, the need to create this. They see, and we all see, many initiatives going on in the data space that are uh, around that that focus area of of the sharing of the data, but not in not in a cohesive, unified way. So we're bringing those together, and one of the focus areas that we think is going to be extremely invaluable from a visualization standpoint is creating service member to veteran journey maps, so that we document those moments that matter. And so as we we build out, you know, any events that occur through a, mil, a service member's career some events occur before they before a service members even be been a service member because if they were a dependent we actually know who they are because they were a dependent of a service member but even so when they become a service member and they go through education and training or other health you know issues or training exercises you name the event we want to have a, a very very mature way a robust way of managing these events the moments that matter that ultimately lead to analytics and other opportunities when the individual you know an individual leaves the their service and goes to the va's care the va is mapping out those moments that matter and so we've got this continuum of opportunity to have data managed in, in a way and provided in such a way that can be used for providing better benefits, as well as providing a robust set of research opportunities and getting after what we think is uh, um, perhaps um, some of our more troubling issues, such as suicide prevention and you know, traumatic brain injury and other types of issues that are costing the department on the treatment side of things or on the reactive side of things a tremendous expense, whereas we can get more predictive and have predictive models that help us lead towards better outcomes. All right, I know you're, there sounds like you have a lot going on, so you'll get a lot of uh, interest, I'm sure, but unfortunately, we're, all, we're out of time for today. Uh, Mike, this was just a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate it. So let me thank my guest, Mike Sorrento, the Director of the Defense Manpower Data Center in the Department of Defense. Mike, great to have you on the show, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Forge Rock on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.